Hey family, listen, if you're like me, life gets crazy and hectic, and sometimes our body needs a little extra love. For years, I've been using something that has been a game changer for me, as well as recommending it to my clients. I'd like to introduce you to Vital Body. It is packed with 37 fruits and vegetables, 19 herbs and spices, prebiotics, 15 strands of probiotics, 21 different enzymes, and I'm telling you what, you get 100% of your daily dose of 21 vitamins and minerals straight from nature. This product contains no GMOs and it is vegan friendly. And here's the best thing, there are no artificial flavors. <laughs> so if you're ready to kick off your vitality journey and you wanna feel better daily, and if you're like me, you want a little extra sleep, throughout the night, head on over to vitalbody.com backslash Monica. And because you are a member of the Black Women Amplified family, they are graciously giving us an extra 20% off of our order. Just use the code Monica20. Get prepared. I can't wait for you to try it. Head on over to vitalbody.com backslash Monica and start your vitality journey today. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to Black Women Amplified, the podcast. Your host, Monica Wisdom Tyson, brings you downloadable conversations that matter to women around the globe. We discuss all things Black Girl Magic, amplify our voices, and transform our challenges into triumphs. Monica calls on her league of extraordinary women to push our boundaries, share their expertise, and stories of personal transformation. Welcome your host of Black Women Amplified, Monica Wisdom Tyson. Hello, Black Women Amplified family. It is your girl, Monica Wisdom. How are you doing? How are your holidays? Happy New Year. Yes, we have entered the portal of 2024. I can't believe it. I was just talking to someone about, I ran across the cartoon, The Jetsons. And <laughs> like when I was watching The Jetsons as a kid, I never imagined one, 2024, and two, that so many elements of what I saw on that show were actually living now robotics, AI, FaceTime, talking to someone on our telephone, all the things, you know, somebody saw that and it inspired a vision and now we are living it. <laughs> it's amazing to me. So happy 2024. I wish you all the best, prosperity, abundance, love, joy, peace, wellness, mentally and physically, all the things. Wishing you all the best. And if you're, this is your first time here, welcome. If you have been hanging around since season one, season two, season three, you are a rock star. <laughs> and if this is your first, second, or third episode, listen, you found your family, you found your tribe. So stick around. And don't forget, you know, I always tell you, push that subscribe button. 
We are getting an essence of a thousand downloads a month, which is fantastic. And we're growing every single day. And to make sure that you do not miss an episode, just wherever you listen to this podcast, wherever you're listening to it now, take the time and push the subscribe button. And not only that, because you are my warriors in this game, send this episode to a friend and ask them to send it to a friend, to send it to a friend, so that we can continue to grow out not only this podcast, but this mission for Black women around the world to be heard, seen, and acknowledged. Now today, before we get into the episode, also... I've been doing a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. I've been switching softwares and programs. And now we're also on YouTube. So you can go to our YouTube page and subscribe. I'll be doing, not only will you hear the podcast over there, but I'll also be doing some live shows over there. Just, Just me having conversations with you live on YouTube. So make sure you head over there and subscribe as well. Listen. <laughs> We are just at the top of the year and already so much is going on. But the hottest topic right now is Cat Williams. If you have not listened to his interview on Shannon Sharp's YouTube show, I forgot the name of the show. But if you have not listened, it is entertaining and educational. (laughs) I've watched it a couple of times and he is out here setting the record straight for himself. I don't really have an opinion on that. That's not my life. I don't live in the comedic world. But I do know just from the life that I've lived that there is the world that you see and then then, then there's the real world, right? There's what they tell you and then there's what really happened. And we all have experienced that in our lives. So I was like, I gotta talk about this, but I'm not interested in the salacious part of it of who he said this about or who he said that about. They can deal that... Right now, that's man's business. They can deal with that themselves, and they are perfectly (laughs) suited to handle that information themselves. I'm not here for that. But I listened to it the first time, and the whole time was like clutching my pearls. I was like, oh, what? Huh? What? And it is what it is. But I went in and listened a second time because there were a couple of things that he said. And I always have my entrepreneur's hat on. And it's always curious to me of how people like him, who are not necessarily mainstream or famous, like he's black folk famous, we all know who he is. Some people have never seen his comedy, some people love him, some people don't. But he has maintained his empire for a long period of time and he's done 1900 city tours. That's huge. You know, Janet Jackson doesn't do 100 cities anymore. I I don't know if Beyonce did 100 cities. And he doesn't do the big, huge stadiums, but he does nice-sized arenas and theaters. So he's out there putting butts in seats. So I'm curious about his business acumen and his longevity and how he keeps it going. Because there's two ways of business. And I I don't mean for this to be a business talk, but let let me just break it down. When it comes to the entertainment industry, because I I did work in the industry for 10 years, there is the people who are doing their thing, and then there are people who are helped. (laughs) I'll just say that. And he's out here doing his thing, and there are other people who do their thing that you may have never heard of before, 
but they are putting butts in seats. They are successful. They have a huge fan base and they're making lots of money doing it. So you can either be helped or you can do your thing. And the, the heart of an entrepreneur is going to do their thing because there are people out here making that you've never heard of before around the globe that are just as successful as Beyonce. When is the last time you ever saw Mark Anthony? He still sells out huge venues, right? You think Ricky Martin's not doing anything. He's in Latin America doing his thing. There is Hollywood all over the world. There's a version of Hollywood in South Africa. There's a version of Hollywood in India. They call it Bollywood. There's a version of Hollywood in Nigeria called Nali World. So there are aspects of industry in places you've never heard of. And why do I say that? I say that because, and it applies to this conversation we're having today. I have a guest on today that I'll introduce you to in a second. But for black women, we have only had full civil rights as women, as black women, since the Civil Rights Act, 1968, I believe. I get that there's three, but I get them confused. But 1968, I'll just say that. And when we got the right to vote. And before that, we could either be teachers, maybe a nurse, or you had to be an entrepreneur, or you were a wife. You didn't have a lot of opportunities to do things until segregation ended. So, but now we're in 2024, and there are so many opportunities that we can, it's still a challenge, but like our guest today, you can chart your own path, you know, and the beauty of what Kat said is that there are four things that I pointed out. There were several, but I just wanted to give you four things about business that he said, and I'm going to pull out my notes so you might hear my paper, but the first thing he said was about business. He said, business is about being independent being the boss, taking responsibility, and keeping the profit. That is the heart of entrepreneurship. And I'm a part of the NASTAC Milestones program. So we just had our last class, and then we go through graduation, I think, in a couple of weeks. They haven't set a date yet. But anyway, the idea that you can take something you're passionate about, take something you love, take a gift, an idea, a solution, something you have knowledge of and put it out in the world and figure out a way to make money from it, right? That is the heart of entrepreneurship. That's different than being in corporate America or building a business. People don't understand that there's a clear distinction between entrepreneurship can grow into business, but there's a clear distinction and the difference in the way that we think. And most people, unless you're an entrepreneur, do not understand it. And a lot of people don't realize that they are an entrepreneur. They might sell cookies. That's entrepreneurship. They might make music. That's entrepreneurship. You could either make music on your own and be independent, or you can work for a record label. And people say, I have a record contract. But essentially, you're working for a record label. <laughs> That's the bottom line of it. But those are the four things that he said. The, the second thing that, that I took away from his conversation was be generous. He believes in tithing, but he's, he delivers his tithes to people he either feels needs it or somebody who inspired him, or if he goes to a town that has a lot of poverty or homelessness, he says he will take 10% of his money and he will put it into the community that just gave him $100,000. So he'll keep 90 and he gives $10,000 away to the community. He said, how can I come into your community and not give back to you? Because you've just given me so much. 
And then the third thing is he said, hire women. He said 75% of his staff are women because women do things better than men. (laughs) I was like, yes, somebody finally said it. The question that he was asked was, I heard that women will show, comedians have said women will show up at a show and give money, but won't say who it's from. So his response was, well, if I know you're out here working, hustling, you're doing your work, so you're giving a great show, but people are not paying you. He says, I know that struggle. And if I can help somebody else, I will. So he says, because his staff is 75% women, he sends his people to take care of this, to give the people the money, whatever he's giving them. And that's when he went into 75% of the people that I work with are women. I think women do it better. I was like, yes. So in between all of the salaciousness and the setting the record straight, he dropped off some huge nuggets. And that's the one thing I loved. Uh, He said he was friends with Prince, you know. Anybody who's friends with Prince is a friend of mine. We're one big purple family. But I could tell that they were friends just by how Prince was the same way. He told a lot of truth about a lot of people. He wasn't a name dropper, but... Prince let you know he knew what the deal was. And he's another person who the industry essentially turned their back on him, truth be told. And he had to figure it out for himself. Prince was the first one mainstream that had a membership site. I can't remember the name of it, but you paid $77 a month. And this is when the internet like first, 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 first started. I think it was before MySpace, or it might have around the same time as MySpace. And he had the site set up, and you paid $77 a month. And then he gave you music and behind-the-scenes content. So Prince pioneered the whole thing that we're doing now with membership sites and Spotify and all of the things. Prince started that. So I know I can tell by the way Kat talks about business that he and Prince exchanged a lot of ideas just by the way he does what he does. And then the fourth thing that I found saw was that bet on yourself. That was the fourth thing. So he had $25,000 in the bank. And instead of waiting on Netflix or any of these other companies to produce a show for him, he took $22,000 of that $25,000 and created his own special. And because he bet on himself, he now has eight specials. Eight. He's not sitting back waiting on one. He has eight specials, and they're across. They're on Amazon, uh, Netflix. I don't know what other ones. I, I think I might have saw one on HBO. But the point is, is that it is essential that, especially in this time frame, and especially as Black women, when we talk about the idea of self-care, it's important that we find a way to align our passions with how we do business and what type of business that we do. And people will always say, well, go get a job, go work for a company, go do this. But it has been found to be very unhealthy for us to work in these corporate environments. Not if you just look at the president of Harvard got pushed out after six months. She did all the things she was supposed to do. Uh, Claudine Gay, I believe her, her name is, but she did all the things she was supposed to do. She had a PhD. She went to Harvard. She's done all of this research and they did everything they could to push her out and she's gone. So she did everything she was supposed to do. And they were saying it is because she did plagiarism on her PhD thesis that she received years ago. 
Nobody had a problem with it then. And here's the thing, not every president of a university is a PhD. So what difference does that make? Anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. But my conversation about business, I wanted to have this conversation about business because today we're talking to a guest who is a mogul in the making, and I can't wait for you to meet her. She has charted her own path, and she's designing the life that she wants to live. And she's a young woman, and I always like to support the younger generation, even though our conversations are mainly with Gen X people. There's some people who are shining stars that are millennials who are really out here doing their thing and building their life their own way. And I really appreciate it because as, as being a Gen X person, true and true, we didn't have those opportunities. We were told to put our nose to the ground and do our work. <laughs> and then once we get done doing our work for 50 years, then we go ahead and live our life. Well, they have knocked that upside down. So I really wanted to highlight this young lady. Her people reached out to me and after I read her story and did some research on her, I was like, of course, I would love to have a conversation with her because she is really charting her own path. Jasmine is a great example of what we have been talking about, being independent, being her own boss, taking responsibility, being generous and betting on herself. Jasmine is a mogul in the making, moving from the hospitality industry to marketing and entrepreneurship. Jasmine has combined her love of travel, her expertise in marketing, and her love for a great cup of coffee and created her own coffee company that not only tastes good, but is on a mission to equalize the imbalances within the incredibly great, huge coffee industry that is worth over $460 billion globally and $110 billion in the United States alone. So not only is she working to build her own empire, but she's making sure that it is fair for everybody involved in the art and the beauty of coffee making. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Black Women Amplified podcast, Miss Jasmine Nevels. Hey, Black Women Amplified family. Like I just told you, I have an incredible guest with us today, Miss Jasmine Nevels. She is a mogul in the making, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing great. Happy New Year. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Can you believe it is 2024? <laughs> can't believe it. I don't know how old you are, but I know growing up, I just, 2024 just seemed like a space age time. <laughs> yeah, it did. Like something from Back to the Future. Yes. <laughs> I was clicking on, I don't know what I was clicking on. I was clicking on something, but the Jetsons came up and I was like, oh my God, the Jetsons was like a hundred years ago. <laughs> it was. And what's so crazy is some of those episodes, those episodes, ideas actually now like have come true right they are like, our life <laughs> they are our life it's crazy mm -hmm. I just want that what was it the the conveyor belt and you come out the other end you're dressed and your makeup is done <laughs> oh my gosh that's that's every woman's dream yes <laughs> okay Boop. three seconds you are <laughs> together that's the piece I'm waiting on but we have the robots that, that sweep. We have the iPhones. We have the FaceTime. We have all of that. So, yeah. We Vision is it. very, very important. 
Vision is very important. So you are from Chicago. What a vibrant city to be from. I love Chicago. Listen, I am straight down 55 in St. Louis. So I spent a lot of time in Chicago. (laughs) All the sides. Which side are you from? Born and raised on the South side. Nice. Okay. Chi-town stand up. (laughs) Yes. Chi-town stand up. We would do overnights. We would go drive up to Chicago, hang out in the clubs, and then come back home. We didn't get a hotel. Yeah, that sounds like a good weekend. Yes. It was always the best. It would drive up on a Friday night, hit the clubs, hit always great restaurants, great people, and then turn around and be home by Saturday, Sunday, early Sunday morning. Great weekend. And then you have to sleep off the rest of the day. Yes. (laughs) Because work (laughs) on Monday. (laughs) We didn't even unpack. (laughs) So how has the city of Chicago colored your life? I think Chicago for everything that I am today. I grew up on the South Side. My parents were both like very working class, middle class families. Historically, my family moved to Chicago early in the 1900s. So as part of the great migration from the South. Mm -hmm. And for us, we never lost that connection to like our roots, to our family. And so for me, Chicago always feels like home. It humbles me. It reminds me of like tenacity, grit, hard work. And so I don't know if I would be where I am today without those Chicago roots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where is your family rooted? You said they were part of the migration. My family was too, so I, I understand it. So where are the roots yeah, so down south for your people? My dad's family was from Mississippi, oddly enough, from a little tiny township called Alligator Lake, which is now like nothing. It has a population, I think, of like 300 people and no one lives there anymore. And my mother's family originally was from Tennessee, just outside of Memphis. And then they moved to Southern Illinois to Centralia. So not too far from you. I spent a lot of time driving to St. Louis, all up and down 55. So know it well. Oh, like that's right across the water, Centralia. It is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My mom's parents are from Virginia. And they rooted in Southern Missouri and then ended up in Edwardsville and my dad's family, Arkansas, and ended up in Alton. So I was actually born in Alton. So I'm an Illinois girl. I call myself a St. Louis transplant, but I'm an Illinois girl. (laughs) There is a little bit of a difference. I get that. But St. Louis is great, too. I always enjoy visiting. Oh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. We are definitely sister cities. Definitely sister city, St. Louis and Chicago. And sometimes we throw in our cousin, Kansas City. Sometimes they oh, can yeah. come to the picnic. Kansas city barbecue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they could bring the barbecue. That's what's most important. <laughs> what lessons do you still carry from being raised in Chicago as you grow and evolve as the woman that you are? I think I look back on growing up in Chicago let's just say 30 plus years ago, I'm not going to give you an age, but it's very different now than it was back then. And I think a lot of people have a different experience, but as a child, as a young adult, as a teenager growing up in Chicago, I really struggled to find like that black community of successful entrepreneurs or creatives. And so I think that back then Chicago just left me feeling like lost when I was a young adolescent. Mm-hmm. And fast forward to today, it's become this like melting pot of creatives, of entrepreneurs, of self-starters. And so now I look at Chicago as like this 
thriving epicenter that's, I don't want to throw New York in the mix, but in some ways I think rivals a New York because you have more space. It's a little bit more affordable. And so I think it's now this perfect time to be in Chicago, to live in Chicago, because you have so many like-minded people that just have great ideas that are super supportive. I think what I love most about Chicago is how people help each other. I don't live in Chicago anymore, unfortunately, but every time I go home, I always have like my circle of people that always kind of like pull you up from your bootstraps, if you will, and are always willing to support you. And so I think for me, I never forget that. And I think that's what's really interesting and special about where Chicago is right now. And it continues to be voted, I'm not sure if you saw this, but like top cities to live in in the country, like year after year. <laughs> All right, you better flex. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Look, I love Chicago. Chicago is one of my favorite cities in the world. When I pick my top five, it is Chicago's always up there because what was unique about Chicago, which was different than St. Louis back in the day, and I, my days go back further than yours, is that Chicago had these distinct neighborhoods. St. Louis had always been, until we became a, a refugee center, where a lot of different cultures came because of their wars, it was very black and white and the lines were very clear. So I always called it the Upper South. But you go to Chicago and depending on where you are, what street you're on, it was just different cultures everywhere. So it reminded me of New York in that way, a smaller version, a nicer version, a cleaner version. But it reminded me a lot of New York and the theater district was amazing. And what is it, Rush Street? I really? lived on, what is it, Rush and what's the cross street? Division, where all no. the parties happen? Okay. No, not that part. <laughs> I know that part too. <laughs> we called it Boys Town. But the part, I can't think of it, but it was like where all the designer shops were. So oh, that, yeah. Like had the, a shop. The and the, yes. Yeah. yeah. So I would walk up and down and just see the shops and the energy of the culture was just always beautiful. And it was so different. And then I would go to the African Arts Festival and the Disablo Museum. So yeah, Chicago was like a second home for a long time. Yeah, I think um, it's becoming a home to a lot of people lately. It's changing a lot, but it's definitely a, I think people are waking up to their own power in Chicago. I think that's the difference. It's like, oh, we I do live that. in a great city and we can mm-hmm. make it better. And I love that. Mm-hmm. So what drew you to the branding and marketing world? So you know what's so funny is I started my career in the restaurant industry. Like I grew up with parents that love to cook. And so I spent a lot of my early career working in restaurants as a chef for a variety of restaurants in Chicago. And I began to pay more attention or just be self-aware around the energy, the excitement, the entertainment component of being in the hospitality space, whether it was an event or a graduation, like there was always this like infectious energy that just left me feeling different than being hidden in the back in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And so I began to inquire, reached out to a few mentors and I was like, what is this? Because I didn't know, like black girl from the South side of Chicago, I didn't really have that network to like help me navigate and explore different career pathways. For me, my parents were always like, go be a doctor, go be a lawyer. I was like, well, Mm -hmm. I want to do something else, something more creative. And so one of my mentors was like, well, that's actually marketing and marketing has several different verticals. And I was like, oh, well, tell me more. And so one of my mentors at that time worked for Bacardi. And I was like, I love working in restaurants, but how do I get your job? Like, how do I go to different events? How do I 
get to train people. I'm making interesting cocktails and spirits and all of these things. And he said to me, you know, you need to get an MBA. You need to go to school for marketing. So I was like, okay, bet. That's what I'm going to do. So <laughs> right. It wasn't even like much of a thought, to be honest. And I just went out to understand what does it take to get an MBA? What does it mean to have a master's degree? And at this point, I had probably worked about eight, 10 years professionally in the hospitality space. And I had done really well for myself for like someone under 25, you know, I was making a good salary. I had great benefits. And so on paper, things look good, but I didn't feel fulfilled. And so I began to make a list of pros and cons look at different universities and finally landed on a university for my master's. And why I chose the university was a few reasons. One, it allowed me the flexibility to still work full-time and have my like corporate job in hospitality. And then two, they allowed you to use your professional experience to omit taking the GMAT, right? So again, mm-hmm. my family didn't have a lot of money, a lot of resources. So I was like, well, how can you be creative and continue to push yourself to challenge yourself. And so I found a university that accepted my professional experience. And luckily I was admitted into an MBA program, which was great. And my employer was super flexible. Mm -hmm. So they allowed me to attend classes when I needed to in person. And this was probably about 10 or 12 years ago. So this is the start of like virtual education, right? So we had like a handful of classes, mostly electives that were offered online. And so I got a really cool opportunity within my company at that time. I was working for TGI Fridays and I got the opportunity to go work in marketing at the corporate office outside of Dallas. And so I took it. And what was really interesting about that opportunity is that I was still enrolled in school in a master's program full time, you know, but my employer was super flexible, embraced the journey that I was on, was really eager to have me as like a very green young marketer. And so I was able to finish the rest of my program online. So it worked out well. Oh, that's beautiful. That's one of those things where you're like, God is just sprinkling grace on you. It all worked out. Yeah. You yeah. put the intention out and, and you planted that seed and it flowered beautifully. So what sparked you owning your own business? And is Uncharted Coffee your first business? So this is a great question. I think I've always been like the rebellious child. If you ask my parents, like I always wanted to like do things on my own or in my own way. So I think inherently some people just have that like entrepreneur self-starter gene, if you call it. And that was me. So Mm -hmm. I was always making stuff. And even when I was a kid, like I would have like a lemonade stand and like all this like silly stuff. But I just knew I wanted the flexibility to work for myself. I knew I wanted to create a company culture that was memorable and different and create opportunities for women and people of color. And so to answer your question, Uncharted really was that for me. And it's not my first company. I own a marketing consultancy where I provide strategy and guidance to different organizations across industries from like biotech to software. And then I also have a small real estate portfolio with my sister. So this isn't our first venture together. What's special about Uncharted is Uncharted really is about family. It really started as this idea over COVID. You know, my sister and I were busy working and we were becoming disconnected and then COVID happened and we were living together at the time and everything was closed and shut down and we got this idea, like, let's make the best of the current situation. And so we would go for these long walks to explore and find interesting and different coffee shops. And that became like our routine. And we began to reflect over coffee and realized that like we used to have coffee or at least witnessed 
our parents having coffee together as kids at the dining room table, you mm-hmm. know, and they would talk to us before they started their day and like make sure we had everything we needed for school. And so to bring that full circle, coffee for us was was about family. It was about connection. It was about what had been lost. And I think what continues to get lost through technology. And so we wanted to bring forward a coffee brand that reminded us of the connection that anyone can have over a coffee, regardless of like religion, background, whatever. We can all recall a memory or a moment that we share with someone we care about over a coffee, whether it was a job interview you were excited about or like me having coffee with my mom as a a young adult. So I think that's really what inspired us to start Uncharted. And then to take it a level deeper, when we began on this venture, we just began to like look into the coffee industry as, as part of our own like self knowledge and education and, and began to understand the similar to like fashion or beauty or diamonds, you know, the coffee industry is like riddled in exploitation of black and brown people. And so we were like, well, we don't want to start a coffee company like that. We want our company to be more ethical. We want to appeal to conscious consumers who feel empowered to make this world a better place every purchase at a time. And so we use Uncharted as a platform to tell that dark history of coffee, but then also to feature black and brown creatives, artists, professionals, scientists that have really paved the way. We say this loosely, but we hope that we can be, when we get there, you know, kind of the voice to the voiceless, right? So be Mm -hmm. a conduit or a pathway for people who have been ignored and oppressed from these coffee producing countries. That's beautiful. So what is the significance of the name Uncharted? A few different things. I think Uncharted is rooted in a lot that we do. So every month we source coffee from a different country. So from a business perspective, it's Uncharted. We're we're finding coffee from all over. I think as we began to start this journey, we didn't know what to expect. I have built several brands from a marketing perspective in my background, but I've never built a CPG consumer brand from scratch on my own. So it's like Uncharted. It's a moment of self-discovery for my sister and I. And we want customers to feel like they're discovering something new and interesting with us, right? Like we want to help you unchart a new path. That's amazing. So Uncharted for you has become a movement. What is the movement and what does an uncharted world look like to you? The movement that we're hoping to create is really a movement of social consciousness to help bring social awareness to what happens in the coffee industry and force some accountability on bigger coffee producers and manufacturers that have the ability to drive change. So some things that happen in the coffee space is child exploitation. You know, women are paid an unfair wage. Farmers make pennies on the dollar. Like how do we change the socioeconomic standards in these communities? And the way that we do that is we, you know, and I won't call anyone out, but you know, the big coffee companies with the green cups or like the ones with the orange cups that we see in the Boston area. You know, we really need these bigger players to recognize that they can't keep destroying land or people or community to make a profit. And Mm -hmm. our movement is to bring knowledge, education, and awareness to those issues so that collectively, like we've seen in fashion with fast fashion, call out those who are doing unjust work and force them to be accountable to do better. So you don't want to call people out, but I will. (laughs) But I did a deep dive into the coffee world because I was just completely, I had no idea how huge it is. I was floored that it is a $460 billion industry globally 
and in the United States is $110 billion, but the income gap is huge. I was reading one site and it said it breaks it down to the growers get less than a penny per cup of coffee. And the amount of money that these green cup companies are making and the amount that the growers are making, it is disgusting. (laughs) I was just floored at not even a penny are they getting per cup of coffee. And they are fueling these small growers who this is their community, this is their culture, and it goes back centuries, is they get nothing. And it it it's just, I'm speechless in what I'm saying because I'm so much is going through my head. But when I discovered this, I was like, wow. And it just made me realize how important companies like yours are because then you're able to distribute the wealth evenly and fair, I, I will say fairly, so that they can also become wealthy. There's no reason that these communities with these coffee farms are not wealthy, thriving communities with the amount of money that is made in coffee. So when That's true. I agree with you completely. Ever feel overwhelmed prioritizing everyone but yourself? What if you could build confidence, set boundaries, and say yes to you? Discover the superpower of self-love with the Self-Love Amplified Masterclass. It's not just about self-discovery. It's about your inner strength. Ready to say yes? Visit www.blackwomenamplified.com backslash masterclass. You don't want to miss out. Write it down. www.blackwomenamplified backslash masterclass. Yeah, so when you're out in the field, because I read that you and your sister actually travel to these farms, is that correct? That's correct. So when you're out and discovering new sources and new flavors and new beans, what are you seeing on the ground? One, what are you learning about the culture and the community? And two, what are you actually seeing that's happening in that that huge chasm of equality when it comes to profits, profit equality, I should say? A couple things I've seen happen. One, these are multi-generational farmers. So for a lot of them, These farms have been passed down generation by generation, and a lot of them are not even profitable. They, I met a woman in Mexico who she owns like a small hacienda and her farm only makes enough product to sell locally. So she's not profitable, but she keeps the farm because it's been in her family for generations. So that's one example. People are, from a cost perspective, not making anything and just doing it because they feel like it's the right thing to do for their family. Mm -hmm. I went to visit another farm in Costa Rica and every farm is different. And I continuously learn from these farmers, but he explained to me how him and his father had been, his father had been producing coffee for decades. And all of a sudden his father got really sick and he went to see his doctor and recognized it was the chemicals and fertilizers that he was using on the coffee that was making him sick. So over the last 20 years, he has helped his father completely transformed the land. And now they do what's called regenerative farming, which is using natural plants as like fertilizers, things like turmeric, things like stevia to naturally fertilize and enrich the land. And what I thought was interesting about that is everything is chemical free and all of the farms in Costa Rica, coffee farms, adopt a similar practice. So 
The difference with regenerative farming and organic farming is regenerative farming is really adopting a behavior change using plants to like really cultivate the land. Organic farming is really going through a third party organization to have like a certification. And the reality is these organizations will only come to your farm like once a year when it's scheduled. So you you get the the use case where people aren't always integral and what's organic is not always truly organic. So that was a learning for me. And in terms of the income disparity, this specific farm that I visited in Costa Rica was this beautiful, lush farm. But it was like in what we would call in the U.S. like a ghetto. Mm -hmm. So he had him and his family had owned this piece of land and they were thriving and they were doing well, but everyone around them was not. They were like dirt poor. Mm -hmm. And so that was really hard to see that they weren't extremely wealthy. They were doing well. They were able to sell the coffee that they produced, but everyone around them was poor. And he Mm -hmm. talked to me about how in some use cases you have these co-ops where farmers try to combine resources because they don't have enough to, let's say, sell to a Starbucks. So they combine their efforts. And so, you know, you have that penny sometimes per cup is getting shared between a handful of farmers who are trying to pull their resources. So you talk about the economic disparity, not only impacts one farm or a handful of farmers, it can impact an entire community. And not to be like political, but when you talk about immigration as a concern or the amount of dollars the U.S. sends to support other nations, like if we could uplift some of these countries and pay them a living wage, not necessarily fair trade, because that's still not enough for them to live on. Maybe we can change the socioeconomic disparity and make them less dependent on us as a country. You know what? That's true because they're coming here so that they could make a living wage and, and live their dreams for their families. But if Starbucks just said, okay, we're going to give the farmers 30% of what we make, their communities would be thriving. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When you're talking about the billions of dollars, I mean, I was reading a stat where it said that Starbucks spends about a billion dollars a year just buying beans. But it comes down to, like I said, well, you know this, I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to the audience, (laughs) that the grower gets less than a penny per cup of coffee that we're paying eight or nine dollars for. And they are just keeping the profit. If they just took 30% of each cup of coffee and gave it to the growers, they wouldn't have a need to come to any other country. They could live in their countries and see their families thrive and build the legacies that they leave their country to build. So there's a big corporate responsibility that also has to happen in this conversation with when it comes to people coming over here as immigrants. So They need to be good citizens, good corporate citizens, as they say. So even though there's all this disparity in the coffee industry, I also discovered the health benefits of coffee. And in season three, we're talking about self-care. So the coffee itself, what are the benefits of a great cup of coffee on our bodies? So coffee is actually rich in antioxidants, which has a lot of like, it's good for anti-aging. I mean, it's good for vitality, for, of course, energy, but coffee has a lot of hidden benefits. Okay. Is it something that you make a part of your daily routine? I absolutely make coffee part of my daily routine. I know people are conflicted over caffeine consumption, 
But for me, I think as long as you balance that appropriately. So I have coffee every morning as part of my routine. And for me, it's a meditative moment. So every morning I wake up, I make, I have an espresso machine. I make a flat white. I put on a like meditation playlist. And that's like my moment to have 10 minutes to myself before I like jump into the day. I often use that time to journal and set my intention for the day. And so I think coffee is a good reminder to slow down. Mm-hmm. And if you meditate, but just take a quiet moment for yourself to be intentional. That's beautiful. That's tell us, because you are the expert in this. What do we look for when we're looking for great coffee? Because I see that um, there's coffee from Ghana. There's coffee from Argentina. There's coffee from Costa Rica. And everybody talks about Cuban coffee. What is the, what's the way to know what is a great cup of coffee? I will caveat this before I answer. So coffee, I think is very subjective and I would say it's similar to wine. So you and I may like different wines, different varieties, and coffee is exactly the same. So there are several things that impact the flavor of coffee, things like environment, the soil, the temperature, the altitude, just like wine. And so the things that I think that I know make a really good cup of coffee is number one, buy coffee that's premium. And you buy it premium for a few different reasons. So coffee similar to wine is on a point scale. So any coffee that's over 85 points is specialty coffee, which means it typically comes from one farm or one region. We call that single origin. Typically the farmers are organic or using regenerative farming practices. So it's less chemicals, less toxic. It's better for you. And the taste is like a wine. And by that, I mean, every time you have coffee, it kind of has these different flavor notes that you should be able to taste if you just have it black. And it should be enjoyable, like you're having a good red wine. So you may taste hints of nuts or cocoa or passion fruit. And so it really becomes a beverage that you can almost sip on. And so finding those little different flavor notes that make the coffee interesting and different by country really is only found in like specialty grade coffee, which is above 85 points. So when you say specialty coffee, specialty meaning like is what you sell considered a specialty coffee? What we sell is considered a specialty coffee. If I could break that down, it's coffee that's typically produced in small quantities because you can only buy it in small quantities from like small farmers. So you are sourcing direct from a small farmer versus a commercial lot of coffee. So mm-hmm. someone like Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, Pete's, they probably have dozens and dozens of acres of land in a country like Brazil, let's say. And they are producing thousands of pounds of coffee per day and they're mixing coffee from all different places. It's not very homogeneous. And so with that, you just get like inconsistency in flavor, inconsistency in quality. And so what's nice about specialty coffee is it's very heavily controlled. So you're getting something that has not been blended typically with other lower grade farms, I would say. So when you're buying the bigger brands, you're getting like a mix of a bunch of different beans together. Whereas opposed to a specialty coffee, you're getting it directly from, it's like champagne versus (laughs) ripple. (laughs) So you're getting a better (laughs) quality, getting a better quality and it's better for your body. That's the interesting thing is when I, when I was reading the benefits of coffee, I was, they was like, people who drink coffee live longer. They have better brain power. I was like, shut up. It's good for weight management. It curbs your appetite. Lots of things. Helps with depression. Yes. I was like, wait a minute. 
<laughs> because all I hear about is don't drink too much caffeine. So the focus is on caffeine, not the benefits of coffee itself. And I didn't know it was a, it had a flower. <laughs> it's like, okay. It's actually a fruit. It's like yeah. a grape with a little tiny bean on the inside. And here's the other thing too, when we talk about like the future of Uncharted and where we're hoping to go, you know, you kind of alluded to this, which is, you know, coffee is a little tiny fruit. It looks just like a grape and inside is this little hard seed. And so when you harvest coffee, you pick the tree. You pick that fruit off the tree like you would a grape of wine or something like that, Mm -hmm. and you extract the bean inside, but that fruit gets discarded, and it goes into a landfill, and that fruit is called cascara, and it tastes like a hibiscus tea. So more to come. We may have some products coming with that, but our goal is to not waste anything. Like We use completely compostable packaging. We try to be very economically responsible in every decision we make as it relates to the business, and so for us... We feel like that fruit is being wasted and we have to figure out a way to utilize that. I agree. (laughs) Bring on the coffee tea or bring on the coffee jam. (laughs) Yeah. That's fascinating. It was really fascinating when I did my research. I was floored. I said, oh my goodness, I'm going back to drinking coffee. (laughs) Now you- Like I'm not a, a medical professional, but one thing I hear a lot too from people who consume our coffee- And I would say probably other organic coffee is our coffee doesn't have like chemicals. And so that like high and low or the jitters that you often feel from consuming caffeine, people tell us they don't experience that with our coffee. So again, I'm not going to say this is like a medical statement, but I do think there's probably some correlation between the toxins that are in farms or coffee that's grown in chemicals and like what that does to your body as opposed to caffeine that is not. It's definitely, I was in the beauty industry for years and definitely chemicals are bodies. And I'm not making a medical statement. I'm She or I are not a doctor, so do your own research and due diligence. But I know in the beauty industry, the more pure the product is, the better it is for your skin, the better it is for all different parts of your body, not just your hair or your skin, because people can have different reactions. I remember just some products I would use myself on my clients and I would end up with eczema on my hands. And that was just my personal experience. So it made me rethink about how I'm doing it because just as a practitioner, just using it on other people, it also impacted my skin. So I would imagine that anything you put in your body when you're doing all those extra chemicals would have a different impact. So yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Although it is not a medical opinion. I always have to say that I had a chef on who's a plant-based chef and she's like, be clear that this is not a medical opinion. (laughs) So you have mentioned that your sister is your business partner. How has being in business with her impacted your family dynamic? So my, I have three sisters, two older, Mm -hmm. one younger, and my youngest sister is my business partner. And I think We have been very close and traveling together for probably about 10 years. And so I think if we would have jumped right into this, then maybe we didn't have that 10 years of travel, growing, struggling together. It would have been different, Mm -hmm. but it's been really enjoyable. And my sister and I have different strengths and weaknesses. Like I'm definitely like the risk taker. She's the more safe and narrow kind of person. Mm -hmm. And so I think we balance each other well because we recognize what our strengths are and we can push back on each other in a healthy, constructive way. How important was it for you to walk this path with her as far as your coffee company goes? 
I don't think there's anyone else I would have rather done it with than my sister. Mm-hmm. Is she an entrepreneur as well? Or is this her supporting your dream? I think she's supporting. I think it's both. I think we both are very passionate about coffee. As I mentioned, her and I have a, a real estate portfolio together that we manage. And that was like our first step at going into something together. But she's equally as passionate about coffee. I think what's interesting about our previous professional experiences, I come from a background in marketing, but she comes from a background in communications and social impact. So mm-hmm. when you talk about our mission, the change that we're trying to create, she's driving all of that because she wants to see lives change both domestically, but then also internationally. And and we look at coffee as being one conduit or one vertical that can drive global change in the same way that we've seen with fashion. Now, how did you even get into the coffee industry? Like you said, okay, I want to, let's do this. What are the first steps into entering that world? Because one, it's very white centered. It's very, any industry is challenging to get into, but something that's so specific. How did you even open that door? We were actually on a coffee exploration trip in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we travel and we just were like, let's go do something different. Let's go to our coffee farm. We like coffee. And it really started there. And we began to learn more about the manufacturing process. We, I don't know, we just like fell in love with the people, the farmers. And we were just like, we should start a coffee roastery. I think everybody has these ideas and you're like, oh, I should do the same. <laughs> but you don't follow through, right? You're like, mm-hmm. sounds cool. But we were like, well, what would it take to answer your question? Like, yes, we love coffee. We've toured a few farms. We love the people. We appreciate their hard work and dedication to give us something that we have enjoyed with our family for over a generation. So we were just like, can is it even feasible? I guess to answer your question, we went through this like feasibility study to understand like what would it take? And so we made a checklist of all the things that we thought we needed. And we were like, is this feasible? Can we execute it with the basic knowledge and understanding that we have? And I would say like 80% of that, we felt like, yes, we can do it. And then everything else we recognized, okay, we're going to have to find some external subject matter expertise. And so for us, that's really like what was the go is like we made a roadmap, if you will, of like all the things it would take to launch a coffee company. And we divided and conquered who could do what from a role and responsibilities perspective. And then we felt confident that we could do it. So we did it. (laughs) Okay, now break that the corporate speak down. Just give it to me and bear, like, what was the first step? What was the second step? Because here's why I'm saying this. There's many people trying to get into entrepreneurship and they're following all of these different ideas of what they should do or what they can do. And as Black women, we have doors open for us that have never been opened before. And the coffee industry is such a lucrative place that we don't only have to have coffee shops. We can be coffee farmers. We can be coffee companies like yourself. So when you're opening the door to the world of coffee, what obstacles, one, did you find? And two, like I said, what was your first like door that you knocked on? Who was the person that you said there was a, you need an expert? Who are those people? Like, I I really would like a breakdown of that. I'm not opening up a coffee company, but just to give people ideas of what's possible. Yeah, this is a great question. I think I hear your point here, which is we knew we didn't have all the answers, so we had to go to someone else to get them. And so the first door that we opened to see if this was even really possible, we went to a coffee roasting class. So 
within the coffee space, you can pick and choose. And I'm sure with any other industry, like what area you want to play in, like we didn't, we had no desire to like be a farmer on day one. Mm-hmm. We knew we wanted to roast coffee. We knew we wanted to sell it to customers. And so we sought out to find a roasting class. And so we went to a place called Shared Roasting in Brooklyn, and we went to a coffee roasting class. And they have several levels, if you will, right? Depending on what level of depth of experience you want to have. Like if you want to compete, if you want your coffee to be noted for awards. So we took like a coffee one-on-one class. And they really were phenomenal partners and gave us the confidence that we can actually do it. So I guess to answer your question, we thought we could, but then we started to socialize this idea with other people and we started to talk to them and they were like, hey, we roast coffee here for Mm -hmm. tons of coffee shops in Brooklyn. And everyone started just where you are. They had an idea. Maybe they were in industry. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they inherited a coffee shop or they didn't. But they gave us the confidence that it wasn't very hard. And so then they told us, this is what you have to do step by step to get a product at market. So they gave us a little bit of like Mm -hmm. the logistics framework, which is you find the farms that you want to work with. You build those relationships. You source the product. You import the product. You come to a facility where you can roast the equipment. They have the equipment for you to roast or you buy your own. Then you put your product in a package, you sell it on a website. And so we began to break that down, right? Just based on those like six or eight steps they gave us, what are the subtasks within that? So how do I find the right farmer? How do I import coffee into the U.S.? How do I design packaging? How do I know what price to charge? So we began to break it down even deeper Mm -hmm. to understand, could we do this? And once we went through that entire process, we had the confidence that like, at least we could make a product, right? So (laughs) then there's so much other stuff when you're starting a business that you have to consider that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So I agree. I think this is like, coffee is a very like white male dominated industry. And I think one thing we have going for us is like, we are unapologetically breaking into that space. Mm -hmm. Like coffee is produced in black and brown countries and we deserve to have black and brown people at the table and we haven't. And so I would say if there's an idea that you have, it's most important. What I didn't do at first was making sure it's financially sound. And that's that feasibility study that we talked about. Like, what's your vision? Is there an appetite for it? Do you have a problem or need that customers care about? And then can you monetize it and make money? And if you can, then I think you start to do your due diligence to figure out how is that possible and who's the team that you need to help help make it possible. All right. That was a masterclass. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And here's the thing. I just want people to understand that there are so many more opportunities, whether you take this information and use it for coffee, tea, candle company, whatever it is, do your due diligence, like you said, because there's a lot to entrepreneurship that people don't tell you about. And it's, there's an ugly side. <laughs> There's a hard side. 100%. And there's a side where you have to be so laser focused that the rest of your life might fall off. <laughs> and I, so I always want to give people like, this is how, this is the truth. Sometimes you you don't see people. You don't see your family. You don't see your friends. You don't hang out on the block because you're so laser focused on all the steps that it takes to put something to market. So I always want to congratulate people when they have that buy here button on a website and there's actually a product that is sent out. It takes multitude of focus to get to there. (laughs) And it's a whole lot of hidden costs and there's a whole lot. I mean, it's a lot. It's literally like birthing a baby. (laughs) It is. And one thing that I was really afraid to do, because I, 
I appreciate everything you said. And I, I hope that people walk away from listening to your show, feeling inspired to go create their own thing, whatever it is that they're passionate about. And one mistake that I think I made is that I didn't ask for help or I, I didn't tell enough people mm-hmm. about my idea early on. And I think this is one thing that like people of color, specifically black people, we want to keep everything to ourselves. Like we have this mm-hmm. like scarcity mindset we don't want to share. But the more you share, the more you'll find that there's like a whole gamut of people that want to see you succeed and are willing to support you. And I think that's what we have to learn from our, you know, like Caucasian male peers is they do ask everybody for help. They're not afraid. And because they're not afraid, they're able to unlock new and interesting opportunities. And so I would just say, if anyone is curious, of course, like do your due diligence about the idea, but talk to lots of people because you can find help. Yes, you definitely. And that's the truth. And we're conditioned and a lot of it comes from our upbringing, our parents' upbringing coming from Jim Crow. We had to be silent for safety issues. And so it is ingrained in us to keep it to ourselves. But there's so much assistance out there, whether you go get a certificate in entrepreneurship or whether you join an incubator space or whether you go to a class like you did and open your mouth and ask questions. There are so many people that are there that you wouldn't even suspect. And it's always the people, I'll just add this caveat, it is always the people that you think would never help you that are like, here, girl, here's the book. (laughs) So we have to look around our close spaces instead of far away to people that are famous, that are rich. Look to the people that are a couple of steps ahead of you and get their knowledge and then take a couple of steps and then go to the next group of people. But anyway, I digress. This is your interview. But I just wanted to share that because it's important. Like you said, there are things that you didn't think about that now you know about. So when you, as your company scales, you already have those things in position. So what is your hope for Uncharted Coffee? What is your vision for this company? Vision for Uncharted would be, one, I want to be a platform for like black and brown people to come and just feel like they can be. So more to come, more to come on that. It's probably going to be some type of online application community, but I want to be that. I want to be a safe space for people to show up and be authentic and be themselves while having coffee. I think too, we would love to be our own like importer and roaster. So being able to go directly to farms that we like and create an opportunity, a distribution pathway for them in the U.S., So really sourcing, finding people who align with our values and then supporting them with the additional technology, with the additional education and financing so that they can get their farms to a place of scale, that they have enough product to meet the demand to send their product to the U.S. There are still a lot of farms that do great work that can't they can't produce enough materials to actually make it to the U.S. And so that limits their income potential. And Mm -hmm. then I would say the third thing for us is national distribution. Like I would love to see Uncharted on the shelves of Wegmans or Whole Foods with those natural grocers who I think are trying to do some good work in the community and really placing ourselves adjacent to them as strategic partners who can drive change. Now, have you ever thought about starting your own farm here in the United States? I have thought about it. And what's interesting is there's a whole movement right now, specifically in the African-American communities, to restore that. So more to come. (laughs) You keep saying more to come. Tell me something. (laughs) I get it. Yeah, there's a whole movement 
I have a cousin who's a farmer and he actually has a horticulture degree, but he took his backyard and turned it into an urban farm. And it's amazing what he's growing and it's beautiful. And I see a lot of people doing that. And I know that there's a great movement for us to move back to the South because like you said, there's small towns that are just empty and you can just go in and buy it and build up. And so I think it's beautiful. Your vision is beautiful. Your company, I'm excited about it. And so as we go out, my final question that I ask everybody is what is your Black Girl Magic superpower? Oh, this is a tough one. I think my Black Girl superpower is resilience. Like I do not give up. So much to a point that I have to balance that because sometimes I can reach the point like anyone else of just like burnout, working too much. But I think resilience, I think being in being an entrepreneur has taught me that you're going to receive a lot of rejection in different formats. But if you believe in what you're working on, you believe in your passion, you have to keep pushing. And for me, that's called resilience. And some might call that dedication or discipline. But for me, it's that and showing up resilient every day, which means bringing a positive attitude to my team, to the contractors that I work with, regardless of how hard it is, is to just be resilient. And I hope that other people can be unapologetic in their pursuit of their passion and just see it through. Mm, that's beautiful. Resilience is, is, is beautiful. I will say that, though, you should organize some trips to the farms. <laughs> Because who doesn't want to go to Costa Rica? (laughs) Yeah. You know what? So I thought about doing like some kind of meet the founders kind of thing. And maybe we do a trip or a dinner. I don't really know yet how to structure it. So when I say maybe later, it is top of mind. But Mm -hmm. one thing I'm trying to manage is how do I prioritize and not feel overwhelmed? So like I would love to Mm -hmm. partner with urban farms, but I don't want to be in the day-to-day operations. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how can I maybe, and this? so now I'm asking for help on the show. If there's anyone who can maybe help me figure this out, let me know. I would love to put something together where I can facilitate an opportunity to host a coffee cupping session in person, or even better, we go to our coffee farm together. I think that would be amazing. Oh, that would be fun. That would be fun. I interviewed two best friends who started a company. They have a, they're the first Black women to own a crystal company in the United States. They own a, oh my God, it's escaping me. Where you go get the crystals. What do you call it? Like on a mountain? Like actually yeah. harvesting them? Yes, yeah. they have that. <laughs> they have that. <laughs> I can't wow. think. I'm a, and I'm a crystal girl and I, I can't even put it together. But one thing that they do is they organize trips to go so people can harvest their own crystals. And they do this whole high-end thing. So I'll, have to, I'll email you their information so you can check out what they're doing. Because they might be a great sort. And one of them, name is Jasmine, and the other one is Ivy, <laughs> and they're best friends. And if you listen to their interview, their story is remarkable of how they attained this land that used to belong to Tiffany. So anyway. To Tiffany? Yes, girl. Fast, the story wow. is amazing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we talk, we talked about grace, okay. grace sprinkling, grace sprinkling. Wait till you hear their story. It's amazing. So Jasmine and Ivy. I interviewed them a couple of months ago, remarkable women, and their story is amazing, but they own, I can't, I don't know why I can't think of it, but then when you listen to it, you'll understand. But so that's why I love these stories and sharing the stories of women like you, because women, Black women are going in uncharted spaces 
and creating ventures that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. A coffee company, owning a crystal company, owning all the things that people are doing. And that's what I like to highlight here. So I really want to thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy, (laughs) your knowledge, sharing that and breaking it all down. And I hope that people are inspired. So how can people reach you moving forward? I'm an open book. So for whatever reason, wherever you are in your journey, or if you just want to say hello, I can be reached at Jasmine, J-A-S-M-I-N-E at unchartedcoffee.com. You can also find us on Instagram at drink uncharted and you can DM me there. I do monitor that inbox. So I will follow up and follow back. Well, thank you again for your time and saying yes to this conversation. I really, really appreciate it. And listen, good luck to you and your sister. And I'm sending you all positive, divine energy for all the success in the world to you. And we will talk soon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have an amazing day. You as well. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Black Women Amplified. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and log on to blackwomenamplified.com for more information. Keep shining. Keep shining.